Today I feel led to speak about God's goodness. I've been teaching on Genesis 28 about Jacob's ladder. Who has heard me talk about that open heaven? He's going from Beersheba to Haran, and it's uh, sundown, so he lays down on the ground. He takes a stone and puts it under his head. Uh, it doesn't sound very comfortable, but he had a dream. And the dream was he looked up and heaven was open. A ladder came down and was set up on the earth, touched down on earth. Angels were descending and ascending, which is fantastic. These uh, ministering spirits sent to those who are heirs of salvation. Remember, Jacob is the son of Isaac, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. This is hugely important. and underscores God's faithfulness to generations and how he was, of course, faithful to Abraham and Sarah uh, to have a child at old age past the predictable years out of a season of convenience and in a moment of inconvenience. The Bible says that Sarah received the ability to conceive past the proper time. That's hugely significant for those of us who feel a day late and a dollar short and get constantly chronically antagonized by feeling like things are amiss in our lives. This will prevent regret. This will prevent unbelief and doubt and fear from coming into our lives because the father and mother of our faith has precedence for how faithful God is and how his timing is impeccable. Boy, I just said something great right there. And then Isaac, if that were not enough, Isaac is the son of the promise. He comes forth and God is so faithful to him. At one point he is the Philistines are trying to cover up the wells out in the desert where water, rich artesian waters, would bubble up and take care of all the livestock and all the people. And the Philistines were doing their best to block the wells. And the enemy is always trying to stop the flow of previous goodness. And so God assigned uh, Isaac to dig up the tops of the wells and get the dirt out of the wells. And it was a spiritual contest and a social challenge where the enemy kept trying to fill dirt in the wells and throw dirt on the situation. You see that over and over again through societies and through the ages. But his relentless determination, driven by a spirit of faith from the living God, caused him to keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. Look at somebody next to you and say, keep digging kept digging, and then he finally got his own well and got it that they weren't contending for and just continued to believe God and got their own thing. Then he has Jacob. A lot of times we see in the Bible where generations decide to be dismissive of what had happened in the prior generations. This is a bad thing. Joshua was under Moses, and there was a tremendous tethering of obedience and respect. Uh, Joshua never let, left the tent of Moses he was faithful throughout. Caleb had a different spirit in him because he sought the Lord as God fully. Caleb was the man that said, we shall by all means possess the land. They understood this in the Old Testament because God, in fact, had furnished Jacob a dream. Abraham begat Isaac, who begat Jacob. Three generations in, even after Joshua, he said, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. You can do whatever you want with idolatry or trailing off, but I'm going I'm to walk with God. And then sadly, even some of the generation after that drifted. But God wanted to make sure that wouldn't happen to Jacob. He speaks to him. Jacob has a tenacity. Jacob wrestled with the angel. Jacob was determined. There are a lot of things about it that we don't fully understand about his nature and his character, but he became Israel. We live in a time now where the Lord is doing such significant and fantastic things. He said, the land you're laying on, I will give to you and to your descendants. So now we see God being faithful to that covenant, 
We see God opening up the windows of heaven there. We see at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry when John baptizes him in the Jordan. And what happened to him right over his head? Heaven opened up. And what, what transpired? A voice came from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit came like a dove and descended upon him. And then he was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and nights. The devil viciously attacked him in the areas of God's goodness primarily. And this is what I want to remind you of. There's an open heaven over Jacob. There was an open heaven over Jesus. I want to remind you that in the early church in the book of Acts, when they were gathered in the upper room, I had the privilege with my wife of being able to go to, the, to Israel, to Jerusalem. And archaeologists and guides that have integrity will tell you that this is roughly the area, this is specifically the area, uh, this is what we think is the settlement of the Hittites or something, but we're not sure yet, or this is absolutely, this, this may be Cornelius's house, this definitely is Capernaum, this is exactly where the, the, the synagogue was, this is, we think is Peter's house, so I love how they qualify it. So in, the, in Jerusalem, they said, uh, this is definitely not the building that the early church rented, where they went in and they went into the upper room of the two-story room, I guess, and they got up there and they prayed because Jesus had said, don't go till you're filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized with power from on high, clothed with power. But they said, you know, though, those buildings were torn down, I think, in 70 AD or thereafter. But they rebuilt a building on the, and they said, this is the general footprint. Now, I'm not superstitious. I'm not mythological. You know, I don't get fixated on that sort of thing. Like, is this the exact place? Like, so you got to rub the stone and that kind of thing. I don't have any need for that. Um, but it is just interesting to know that in a literal physical geography, there was an open heaven over the early church. They were praying, and the Bible says that the, a rushing mighty wind came down upon the early disciples, very similar to the open heaven with the ladder, very similar to the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, Heavens opened. Very similar to what Malachi prophesied. Every time you and I bring the tithe into the storehouse, he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you cannot contain. The idea of an open heaven as opposed to a closed heaven where the heavens are brass, where your prayers bounce back and, and there are hindrances. It's really amazing to know that we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and we obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. One of the things I noticed when I, in my early Christian days as a teenager was that I was lost and in utter darkness. I tried to read my sister's Bible. It was, she had an old King James Bible with gold leaf and red, uh, red edges and red lettering, and it was King James. I opened it up to the start of the New Testament, and I immediately blocked out like so many uh, hours in school, you know, where my brain just locked up when I focused on mid-range. I tried to read the names. I tried to read the Bible. I could not understand it. Then I called out to the Lord. God brought two wide awake, awesome believers, a Vietnam veteran in a 1962 uh, Chevy Impala and a girl named Jill from my high school who invited me to a good church that was spirit filled. And I had the synergy of the man that had experienced God after addiction and war and combat and brokenness in Eastern religions and immoral failure and messing up his marriage and coming out of substance abuse and all this stuff. And he said, Jesus changed his life. It went right over my head because I didn't know God. 
the girl that invited me to the church. I went with her for four weeks in a row. I learned the songs. I saw the culture of the church. They were waving their hands, worshiping. When the preacher preached, it seemed alive to me. And they meant it. There was a sincerity and authenticity to it. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I was transferred out of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son. Do you remember when you, the day of your salvation? Do you remember the, the, the change? If anyone is in Christ, you become a new creation. Well, then the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, will come along like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden and try to disrupt the gift of connection with God. And that's what he did in chapter three of Genesis. That's why this ladder from heaven is so important. That's why this open heaven over Jesus is so important. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. Do you realize a rescuer has come? Do you realize how significant it is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us? That's what the accuser does. He accuses us before God day and night. Gets a list out, says, you think you're such a good Christian? Look at this, look at this, look at this, and try to beat you down. You don't read enough Bible, you don't pray enough, you're not, you know, all that kind of stuff to get us in performance orientation. But mainly, did God really say, the devil put question about God's goodness right there in the middle of the garden. And in the pre-fall glory with Adam and Eve, there was such a level that apparently their three-pound brains were activated to 100%. Scientists and doctors think our brains work at 10 or 12%. You know, I'm hoping on a good day mine goes at 12%. Uh, it, it's fascinating, the capacities that have been rendered down by sin and the fall. Uh, he said, hey, look, did God really say this? Hey, if you eat this tree, you'll actually become like God. Well, they already were made in God's image, Genesis 1.26. And the devil attacked them and brought insecurity about God's goodness, made them feel apprehensive like he was withholding from them, like he was lying to them, like he didn't give them a full truth. That's the father of lies distorting and bringing deception on the beautiful scene of the garden. It caused a disruption. Adam and Eve sinned, forfeited their authority, and were banished from the garden. And there's been all this degradation and hardship ever since. And yet, God, after he provided the law through Moses and activated a people, created a covenant with Abraham, and then with Isaac and the succession of Jacob, and then he says to Jacob, look, man, I'm going to make you a nation, and he turns Jacob into Israel. And he gives all these his prophetic promises. And as Jesus said in John 4, salvation is coming through the Jews. And the gospel will come through the Jewish people. The gospel is the power of God to the Jew first and then also to the nations, to the non-Jews. So there's salvation that's available spilling out through this family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then here we are, Jesus comes on the scene. King of kings and Lord of lords on a rescue mission. And if the enemy knew what strategy God had, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God did something so stellar in Christ that he destroyed the works of the devil. And he came to transfer people out of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his dear son. And he seated us with Christ in heavenly places. He's pronounced you a new creation. He's pronounced you as righteous, worthy. Get this, he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Listen, don't let the devil degrade or denounce or discredit 
any of the litany of blessing that God has laid out and lavished before you. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It says that we're partakers of the divine nature. We've escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We are more than conquerors. We've been given the armament of God. Ephesians chapter 6, we put on the helmet of salvation. That's what we're doing right now. In school, they used to say, put on your thinking cap, Jeffrey. I thought, whatever it is, I need one. Put on the helmet of salvation. Our thoughts are dialing in and are lining up right now. It has to be on salvation, getting assured and affirmed. You know, he told, Paul told Timothy, hey, your grandma Lois and your mother Eunice taught you some good things. And you know the scriptures that are able to give you wisdom concerning salvation. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, efficient, and equipped for every good work. Our sufficiency is of him. You can do this thing because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The accuser of the brethren will try to belittle you night and day. He'll try to numb you and blunt you. He'll try to go into your garden setting and say, did God really say? He'll try to get you in a performance orientation when it, our salvation has nothing to do with earning it or deserving it because we don't and we can't. But he gave it as a gift. We receive it freely and we walk in it. And our example then is God's mercy is all over my life. The people who testified to me said something of God's mercy and how Jesus would change your life by simply calling upon him, repenting, receiving him. I want to talk to you in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 in a minute, but I just want to reinforce some of these things right now while I have this fresh in my spirit. I feel like this is an equipping moment. I felt led to speak along these lines of God's goodness to you today. I think you've been barraged, I've been barraged with many, many uh, harsh uh, realities. Forest fires, you don't need me to articulate too many of them. It's an election year, there's all that mud slinging, the atmosphere is very tense, but not so in the kingdom of God. We are in a situation, that a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We are in an undeniable moment of impartation. God is pouring out constantly upon us his strength and his goodness. He said that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he manifested himself in the upper room, and ever since then, People are activated and deployed with power from on high. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He's not weak toward us, he's mighty in us. He's an adequate supply, he's with us in trouble. He's with us when we lose a loved one. He's with us when we fail and make a mistake, when we repent, he's there to forgive us. When we go through a ridiculous, complex mental challenge, he always causes us to triumph. He answers your prayer, so keep praying. He watches over his word to perform it, so keep meditating. He, he inhabits the praises of his people, so keep singing. He, when we gather together, there he is in our midst, so keep, let's keep assembling. Let's continue to flow in an understanding way so we can yield to the mighty dynamics that he wants to download in us in these remaining days. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. How many of you had some exciting young days? The Bible does say in Ecclesiastes 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come when your soul has no delight in them. Now that's Solomon backslidden and it's a bit morbid, but it's also kind of truthful about the way life can be when circumstances grind us down and trials and blow by blow difficulties. Even Paul the apostle 
who said he had a thorn in the flesh that kept just pounding him down blow by blow. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I do not want you to be unaware of the trial that we dealt with in Asia. We despaired even of life. We were beaten beyond our own strength. And yet the God that delivers and delivered will deliver. And he said, you guys prayed for me and I got favor all around me and I got a boost and I got out of the depression. I got out of the darkness. I got out of the despair. I got out of the temptation to quit and God catapulted me into the next level. That's the God we serve. I don't know what you're dealing with, but God does. There are people in here who have been through some very significant trials. I've known some of them. I just looked over at a family that went through a trial that was designed to take them out. But they're pressing on. They're still here. You're still here. Helen's husband passed, but she was on the front row. Just dressed up, singing praises, beaming. There's a woman who's, who had a terrible loss, with tears running down her face, soaking her mask. We just had to pray to get out of that oppression. What's left for us in this hour? It's great that there was an open heaven for Jacob, but what about me? It's great that Abraham and Sarah had a baby, but what about me? It's the mentality of the humanity, that we, our human condition, we want to figure out, as hard as we try not to be too selfish and internalize everything, we do want to see how this translates to us as individuals. God's designed us to be individuals. It's okay to have that. And it's okay to understand that there are things, singular things that Jesus wants to do for each and every one of us and through each and every one of us. And that is precisely why I'm preaching the way I'm preaching right now. I'm anointed to preach this way. You're anointed to listen this way. It takes an amazing skill to be able to listen to some, a barrage of this type of preaching and, and teaching. You, you got to have ears to hear. There's so much, so much intense listening right now that even the kids are listening. And the greatest compliments I ever get is if a kid understands what I'm preaching. Here's what I'm preaching. God is good. He opens up heaven. He pours out a blessing you cannot contain. He still opens up doors. The same apostle Paul that had a hard time in Asia, eventually all of Asia heard the gospel when he got in the right moment in the school of a guy named Tyrannus. And there was a plan God had and he had tried to get in there in different ways and in, in his ministry was struggling and he had a hard time with it. But eventually and inevitably, the door opened. In Revelation 3, it says that for the Philadelphia church, he said, because you have a little power and have kept my word and not denied my name, I have opened a door no man can shut. And the one that was speaking said, I'm the one who opens and no one can close. I'm the one who closes and no one can open. And I appreciate that. Because in this hour, God is consolidating. God is refining. God is speaking to people like you and me and places like this and us and the church body in general. And he's saying, look, get singular. Get on fire for him. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because he, man, really loves you. We love because he first loved us. Get a hold of that. Don't let the lying devil belittle or discourage you in that. Perfect love casts out fear. That just means a mature assessment of how much he loves us. And we're to be rooted and grounded in love where we're solid. Quick story. Amazing preacher from another state of one of the largest churches ever in the history of America. Went through one battle after the other. 
and he was, and one thing I really, he's an amazing speaker. He and his wife are anointed. The church is great. It's been solid for years. It's been a great testimony. But he went through sickness battle. He went through a family battle. He went through stuff that he didn't even give detail on. He said his thought life was so seized that the thing that the devil was fighting for was to blur his awareness that God loved him. You think, well, that's fundamental. Of course, duh, God loves him. But yet he really had a battle. And he had to just fight his way through what the devil was. The devil was twisting this great leader to try to downplay this, to try to clip him at his knees so he'd stop heralding this great good news message and stop him in his tracks. God anointed him, however, to overcome. God anointed Paul when he said, I despaired even of life. That's an honest, candid statement from the apostle Paul that yes, he was depressed and he was seizing him and he was getting tempted to stop. But the Lord enabled him and strengthened him. And if you read the book of Acts in the New American Standard, the last word in that translation is unhindered. Everybody say unhindered. Paul, who had been through shipwrecks, beatings, misunderstandings, betrayal from so-called brothers. He had terrible problems with false brethren. He had been backstabbed. He had been abandoned. He had been forsaken. He had all kinds of trials. And yet he landed on his feet like a cat because of the resurrection power of Jesus. You're still here. You've been through a thing or two. Some of you feel like you've been worn down to the nub. You, you get, try to pray and you don't even feel like praying. You try to read the Bible and it's like, oh, well. You look and, and you're, you, you know, some of you have just been so attacked by the accuser of the brethren. And I just feel responsible to remind you, blessed be the God of our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I want to remind you that God loves you, that just as there was an open heaven over Jacob, over Jesus, over the early church, over tithers, there's one over you right now. Just as God opened a door for the Philadelphia church in Revelation 3, he's opening a door no man can shut. Just as he said to Jacob, the land is yours, and then he told Caleb and Joshua, every place on which the sole of your feet treads, I've given you that land, your prayers make a difference. Your meditation on the word of God makes a difference. Your giving makes a difference. Serving makes a difference. Showing up makes a difference. Enduring makes a difference. Making something of your life makes a difference to the Lord. Your dedication is the atmosphere you provide to God that he can impart all of his blessings and empower and strengthen you and that seasons of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Number one, a close walk with Jesus where he's number one. Number two, conforming to his image. We're to grow up in all aspects in him. Number three, repentant and humble. We continually keep a good, tender heart before the Lord. Four, bold, strong, courageous. Five, obedience begets blessing. Six, we become effective and bring glory and honor to him. I close with Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I'm gonna read to you from the King James. I want to remind you, God's name, Jehovah, that means, Jehovah means he's the Lord. Elohim means he's the creator. 
Adonai means he's your master. Jehovah, we say Jireh, it's Yireh in Hebrew. It means he's my provider. The Lord will provide. El Shaddai means he's my supplier. Adonai, I said, means master. Jehovah Rapha, he's my healer. Jehovah Nisi, he's my banner. You ever been to these? You see business meetings where they'll put a banner behind the, the lectern and it'll show the people that sponsored the, the banquet, show the names. Or you, you'll, you know, I just had a friend who just produced a film, directed a film, and it's gonna be shown at the Toronto Film Festival next week. And he asked me to pray for him. Good kind of story about overcoming and hopefulness. Christian out in the marketplace. And at that event, it's gonna say the Toronto uh, Film Festival. It's gonna let, the banner is gonna let people know what it's about and what the, uh, the sponsorship is. Well, his banner over us is love. His banner, you got a banner over you. God has your back, there's something over you. Hey, don't mess with that girl, that's my child. Don't mess with that man, that's one of my sons. Don't mess with that kid. Don't touch my little, don't, don't mess with the little ones. For of such is the kingdom of God. Don't mess with that elder. I, I've been developing her for decades. She's smarter and more anointed and more poised than she realizes. Remember Anna? Remember Simeon in the temple? They waited and waited and fasted and prayed and went through a lot of things in life. And then little Mary and Joseph came in to dedicate Jesus. And they went, finally, the Savior's here. And they got to see an overlap of the Old Testament and they got to see the New Testament, the little bitty baby, the hope of the world. There he is. They got to see it through their, their withered life and their, their crow's feet. They got to look and they got to see, finally, the fasting, the praying, the visions, the dreams have paid off. This era necessitates that a quiet breed of thoughtful saints gets a realization, an ongoing awareness of the fortification that comes from the love of God, the assurance, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the devil can't pluck me out of God's hand, what he's begun in me will come to pass, I refuse to quit because the glory of God will strengthen me, and it's not even my own human determinism, I may be, have been a quitter in a lot of other things, but God will never quit with me. Therefore, I will press on and I'll give him all the praise, honor, and glory and credit. Paul could have quit in that moment, but people prayed for him and, and, he, and his faith didn't fail. Peter was, he said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. Jesus did that with Peter. Peter, who was a rock that he was going to be a builder in. You use him in the day of Pentecost to preach one of the most glorious messages that caused 3,000 people to humble themselves and respond. And guy showed me an area where people could be, 3,000 people could be baptized with all the, the particular washings in the Old Testament. They designed all these stone uh, water uh, basins that had running water running in and out of them from springs. And they, he said it would be easy to baptize instantly 3,000 in one day. That's plausible. This was a Jewish guy who doesn't claim to be a Christian, but he said this is, this is what would have happened. And Peter could have quit. Peter could have quit. But Jesus said, I'll pray for you. Some of you in here, you're here by the grace of God, and you know it. Some of you have been through some stuff. And if you're depressed or you're down and you feel dull and numb, I just pray God revives you right now. I pray if, if somebody's despondent or depressed, don't do anything rash. Stay alive. Stay on track. Live out your days. 
Don't yield to the hopelessness and the despair. The enemy's working overtime to belittle and berate you, to try to stop you. This is the proverbial darkness before the dawn. This is what it feels like pre-revival. It's what it feels like pre-harvest. Patsy and I have been in ministry now for 40 years, and we've watched some seasons. We've had the advantage of life experience, and we've watched trends, and now we see we're about ready to move into a new level. So it necessitates that we understand Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You thought I forgot, but I did. I got it right here. Ready? This is what it says in the New American Standard. It says, well, I'll read it in King James first. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, this is Jesus talking, and I will give you rest. Now, this is Jesus talking to religious people that are trying really hard to fulfill all the law and all the responsibilities and obligations. And he's coming in with a new covenant. He's coming in with new ideals, new freedoms and liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to what it says here in the, in the New American Standard. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Remember in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap if you faint not. And he said, I, and I will give you rest. Rest sometimes looks like inactivity, but it's not. Biblical rest fortifies you for divine activity. Biblical rest is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Learn how to enter into his rest. Hebrews 4 says we have to labor to enter his rest. But we need to fight the fight of faith and learn how to just sit before the Lord and understand that's not inactivity. They that wait upon the Lord actually will gain new strength and in no way advocates procrastination or inactivity or laziness, but what it is, is it's a divine opportunity, just like the Tesla car has to pull up to a, a station and plug in in order to be recharged. Alice and Dave Goldstein have had a couple of Teslas, and they drive from Las Vegas to Los Angeles to visit their kids, and it's so many hours drive, and, and I asked David about it, and he's so excited about it, he took me for a spin in it. it, it doesn't even make a sound, it has giant batteries in it. And he said he knows where the way stations are, where they can go and recharge. And he said, I know how long it takes to get enough of a charge. It takes one latte uh, at the Starbucks. And I thought, oh, wow, he's got it all figured out. He knows exactly where it is on the map. He'll pull up, he'll plug in, he'll charge up, and then he'll go, man, go. Here we are, in fact, in a refueling station. Church is a refueling station. Church is a sending station. Church is a launching pad. Church is a home. Church is a green pasture and quiet waters for the sheep to graze and be hydrated, to sit and in, in, in rest in the presence of the Lord. He said, come to me, all you who have had the heck beat out of you, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to speak to you and minister to you and prepare you. Yeah. Oh, man. Listen to what it says here in some of these translations. All you toiling and burdened ones, all you who are weary and overburdened, all who work, whose work is hard, whose load is heavy, he said, I will give you rest. The Moffat translation says, I will refresh you. In the NIV and the Proverbs, it says, he that refreshes others will himself be refreshed. To me, that is one of the biggest, most significant elements of kingdom life. Realize this. 
that what God does to you, he wants to do through you. Open heaven on Jesus, manifestation of the glory as a result. Open heaven on the early church, these signs will follow those who believe. We're even reluctant, flexing Peter, Cephas, the reed in the wind, the one that Satan wanted to sift like wheat. But he, Jesus prayed for him and he was strengthened and he got rescued. Paul, who was about ready to, he despaired even of life, God plucked him once again out of the fires of trial and pressure. You hold, your obedience holds a key to other people's breakthrough. Your prayers, even if you feel weakened, your Christian life feels cheapened, you feel at a point of disorientation, let me tell you, fear not. The head of the church knows exactly everything about you and he calibrates and works everything after the counsel of his own will. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That is a repetitive statement in the verbiage of the worship we choose to sing because we sing songs of deliverance. We, we sing those victory songs. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance. We reiterate that our God works things together. It rouses our faith. We know that what the enemy means for harm, God will turn around for good. Even in this building, when the flood came, when the enemy came like a flood, God raised a standard against him. When the devil started to attack, listen, what's happened. God's moving on the Jewish people because God told Jacob, hey, that land, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. Do you know last week, not only the Kosovars, but the Serbians reconnected with Israel. They shifted from a goat nation to a sheep nation right before our eyes. And if you don't understand that, it's a fantastic and fascinating thing that even two enemies in a region of previously communistic and socialist have had a change of heart by the power and prompting of the divine anointed Holy Spirit of God. So this is it. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jehovah Jireh, your provider. El Shaddai, the God that supplies. Adonai, your master. Elohim, your creator. Jehovah the Lord. Jehovah Nisi, the banner over you. He loves you. That pastor had to fight to get that simple essential back. Because where there's fear, there's torment. The devil's going, God doesn't love you. Just like with, with Eve, God's lying to you. Just the father of lies, pounding, evil, unfair, uncalled for. Yet we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. How many of you would say, hey, Pastor Jeff, I'm coming to the Lord. I am laying my burden down at his feet because he's gentle and humble of heart and I'm gonna find rest for my soul. How many of you need a good soul rest right now? How many of you feel like the news cycle has kind of beat the heck out of you? Let me see your hands. Okay, listen. The good news cycle of the gospel of Jesus needs to come forth as a primary uh, message right now. And the evil report offset the good report 10 to 2. There were 12 spies. 10 of them were saying, nevertheless, the people, nevertheless, the cities are fortified, nevertheless, there are giants in the land. Caleb quieted the people before Moses. There need to be voices. The Caleb voice that's steady, that's solid, that's non-emotional, that's courageous, that says, we shall by all means possess the land. 